Welcome back to the Bow Rush Podcast. I'm Scott Nelson. I'm Rob Stowe. I'm pretty exciting, you guys. Uh, we've been we've been MIA for a little bit. Uh, we know a little bit is kind of a long stretch. Un- understatement. Yeah. <laughs> um, most of you guys know started back in 2014, uh, and we got 44 episodes in. Yep. Uh, before we we took a little hiatus due to life stuff, uh, but I I can't. I can't speak highly enough about the, the guy we're about to about to have on. Um, great, great podcast. We talked about a lot of things. Um, we talked about his new camo, obviously. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll get into that. Uh, we talked about his, his time in Africa and some of the experience, his experiences there. Uh, just his overall experience and in, in history in hunting. Uh, what, what did you think about the podcast? Dude, it was almost kind of a little eye-opening. Um, you know, a while back, we've actually had a few episodes, especially when it came down to the I'll touch on the the part when they hunted in Africa. He he gave us some insights. We've had some other people on before, but there's things that we still don't know and that we're learning every year. Yep. And, you know, Grant, we've been off the show for a little bit, but we're bringing things back on because there's things that people are not talking about or not willing to talk about that we're just going to have an open mic. Um, I think that's what's going to be kind of cool about the show. Now, jumping in with his product line, now we didn't, he's not doing anything other than just allowing us to see it. We got to see it. We use it. We love it now. I mean, this is really solid gear, mm-hmm. um, but you got full on test ammonia. I would guess you would say on how the quality really does stand up to what he says and feels that why he built it in the first place. Oh, absolutely. It's been, it's been great gear to use. I think so far now, I mean, since, since I got it, went to Illinois, came back, been hunting, I probably have 80 hours in, in the gear and absolutely love it. Everything from, I mean, heck now it was, it was 25 degrees here in Georgia uh, when I was out the other morning uh, and it was, it was somewhat snowing. You can't really call it snow. It was, there, there was some white flakes in the air. That's about it, but it was cold um, all the way up to, you know, you know, the upper forties, low fifties, just with the different layering system. Uh, hands down, it's been a great camo to use and kind of put it through the ringer. It's going to keep doing it the rest of the season. I'm hoping that I'm actually going to be able to have, do utilize it this season. I mean, we got, what, about a month and a half left, mm-hmm. give or take, in Georgia? Yep. And, um, you know, you got to have the personal touch. I got to use it maybe a few times, a hand. I can count in one my hand how many times I've actually used it. But I like the way it feels. It definitely feels good, and I can't wait to see really what it can push when we get the cold weather in Georgia. Absolutely. Well, you know, no further ado, uh, here's episode 45 with Joe Miles from Osseo Gear. Awesome. But yeah, the, the gear, and we'll, we'll jump into it a little bit, I'm sure, but I, I, cannot, I can't say enough about how it performed. Uh, we, got, we got the bevy of, of weather experiences up there from rain to 30 mile an hour winds to, you know, 27 degrees you know, all the way up to, you know, upper, upper fifties and bluebird, bluebird skies. And I, I mean, I, I was impressed with it. There were six or seven other guys there that were passing, uh, passing my camo around at night when we were back at the lodge, looking at it, trying to, trying to figure out what it was, how it worked and trying it on. So I think there's probably, uh, probably some more guys that are ordering, uh, ordering some osteogi here and well, you're here now. That, thank you all. Appreciate that. Oh, it's, it's, it's phenomenal stuff. I just, you know, I post out, oh, you've seen some of the stuff I've posted on, uh, on social media and on Instagram. Uh, I've had people I haven't talked to in, in since last deer season, reaching out, asking about what it is, you know, where, you know, where, where did it come from? How long have I been using it? What's my experience been? And, uh, it, uh, there, there's only been a few products in the outdoor industry that I, I've been super, super 
confident when I tell someone my opinion on it. Uh, and uh, this, this year so far, absolutely one of those, man. Awesome, man. Well, I'm so glad to hear that. Um, you know, we, we've got some bridge pieces coming. We've got a lighter jacket um, that kind of bridge that, you know, say 35 to 25 range, you know, a jacket in there that's going to be lighter than a heavier jacket, mm-hmm. uh, but it'll be heavier than the pit weight and the vest. We've got that coming. Um, you know, and some other stuff. We're going to be adding uh, kind of a bridge pant between that mid-weight pant and the bibs. We're going to have some packable rain gear. So, yeah, we got some stuff coming that I think is going to help. we got a pack coming out. Um, so, uh, yeah, we're, we're excited about where this is going to go. Man, well, it's funny you say rain gear. Um, I, and this is something, I mean, I knew it was water repellent, uh, so I was expecting some rain. But that Saturday, Saturday when we were there, it rained. I mean, a pretty steady rain the entire day. Uh, and even when it wasn't raining, there's so much water on the trees that it still felt like it was raining. Uh, I sat that 12 hours and I got back to camp drier than anyone else. Um, everyone else, most, most of them got out of the stand midday to go, to go dry off. Uh, so I was super, super impressed with how well that, that stood up to, uh, to, to what, to weather, including rain, man. Yeah. When, uh, when Scott actually told me about that, I was very confused because like when he described that it was raining, I was like, well, where's the inner sleeve to keep it protected? And he goes, and it's just, it just, I guess, pushed it off because there's just nothing barrier pushed or got through. And I, it took me a minute to understand the thickness because I was using it, but he had the opportunity to be a part of it within the weather. I wasn't there. Um, but it's, I'm still, I would really like to know how you figured that out, uh, knowing that you didn't have to have like a layering system inside to protect it. You're talking about the midweight, the midweight hoodie. So I was actually wearing. So quick lineup for for people listening. What I was wearing. Uh, first off, I was in Western Illinois, um, the 13th through the 18th of November. Just came off of literally 70 degree temperatures out there, and then dropped down into the upper 20s to really mid 40s throughout the day. Uh, first day, a lot of rain, a lot of wind in the, in the 15 to 20 mile an hour gusts. Sunday was no rain, 30 mile an hour gusts of wind, and then it, it got pretty calm the rest of the time. Um, but what I was wearing on uh, the the full day sits in the cold, in again 27 degrees, not 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 super super cold, but cold cold enough. Uh, I was wearing the mid layer pants, or sorry, mid season pants. I was wearing the mid season hoodie with the mid season vest. And then uh, my outer layer, obviously, was that was that late season bib, and then the late season jacket, accompanied with the uh, beanie and the gloves. Yep. Yeah, that's. I, I, you know, I was in Kansas, and, and when we, when it was getting down in the twenties, I basically had the exact same thing on. Um, and and yeah, so all that fabric, there there are different le- uh, levels of DWR, just because you know something says DWR, which is the uh, water resistant um, chemicals that goes on the outer layer of the fabric. There are different layers of that. And obviously it's uh, the, 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 it goes by price. So the best you can get is the most expensive and it's going to give you the highest level of water repellency. And that's obviously what we use to coat the outside of the fabric. And it does nothing uh, to hamper how quiet it is or, or, the integrity of the fabric or anything like that it, it literally just makes water beat up and, and kind of run off of you and then with the jacket the bibs and the vest we have um 
a PU laminate, which is kind of our secret sauce. It's the windproof laminate, and it's highly, highly, highly water resistant. Um, and it, it uh, it's going to block wind 100%. But the and then it's again, it's going to be really water resistant. But what what it does different than a lot of the other companies is it remains really quiet. If, if you get a, a, a laminate that you put in there, and, and what I mean by that, you know, you have an outer layer uh, up for our garments that, that's a brushed fleece, and then you have a laminate that is basically glued to the inside of that layer, and then we have our Prima Loft insulation, and then we have, you know, the inside uh, fabric to keep the insulation in. Um, and that, that laminate, a lot of times with some of the other premium products that are out there, it makes a lot of noise when you move and you crinkle around and stuff like that. But with mm-hmm. ours, it remains totally, totally silent. So that, that we're, we're really excited about that. I have a buddy that's been in the apparel manufacturing um, world for a long, long time, and he actually found that for us. And, and we've gotten exclusive rights to it, and that's kind of one of our, one of our big – big things that we tout is our is our windproof water resistant uh laminate there the pu laminate you know with being like when someone buys something new and especially in clothing sometimes people don't really feel what's the best way to manage it wash it take care of it um especially if they're about to go on a hunt i mean is there any particular way that would be best fit to wash the material so it doesn't lose that laminate the material that you stuck in there the um, I guess the chemicals yeah, the laminate you have. is there for the, yeah, the laminate is there forever. You're not going to mess that up. Um, what, what I tell, uh, what I tell guys is, is to watch when, when I get the stuff, um, you know, even when I get my samples that I'm going to hunt with and wear, as soon as I get them, I wash them in a, in a, uh, you know, obviously a scent free detergent on uh, with, with warm water. And then I, I dry on low heat and, and that's, and they're fine. That's what they're made to do. So you, you can't mess them up. I mean, I, if you if you wash them on in hot water and dry them on high heat, um, it's not really going to mess them up. But if you do that a bunch, there there could become some shrinking in there, and you don't want that. Um, so we we say warm water and uh, low heat, and you're good to go. Oh, that's good. Well, going back to the the outer layer piece of that, uh, the DWR that treatment that goes on the outside of the camo. Uh, how long? How long does that last? Is there a way to kind of um, uh, re-engage that as as time goes on? There, there's not. Um, we also have an active uh, scent control uh, antimicrobial that the fabrics are treated, treated with as well to help with uh, human odor. Um, and, and you're going to get roughly 80 washes out of that. So the DWR, after about 80 washes, it will start to subside. Um, that's just the nature nature of the beast. But if you mm-hmm. if you do that math, you know, and you, and you hunt for uh, you know a weekend and you wash it, I mean, you're going to get years out of out of the out of the DWR. And, yeah, at and least the, um, ten to fifteen easily. And the antimicrobial, so you're going to get quite a quite. You're going to get several years out of it before that even starts to fade. And good, good to know. I think that's something a lot of people ask um, me and some just a little little background. I know you and I have talked uh, a couple times. Uh, Travis Stowe is, is on the other side here. We started this, sorry, I don't know this uh, My Bow Rush podcast back in 2014. Uh, we just we've been in and out of the, the the hunting industry just with some different companies, mostly just 
to get to know people, kind of make connections so we could we could really learn how people were hunting because we, we don't have a ton of time to hunt. Um, you know, being being in the South and, and having full-time jobs, we, we just want to take every chance we could to absorb info from people. Uh, so there was a camo company we both worked kind of closely with, uh, when, uh, good Lord, it's probably been seven, eight years ago now. Yeah. But uh, again, and they're, they're no longer around, unfortunately, but a company called 46 Rail out of, uh, out of Utah. And that was really our first dive into understanding uh, the differences in camo and, and what, how to use them in different scenarios, what patterns meant kind of what, where they fit well in. And then talking about what you, what you're just talking about with that, that DWR, we'd never heard, heard of that term before. Um, so to get a product like yours now and start going into it, 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 I think it helps us understanding those, those terms and what those are and how those affect the camo, uh, how, how useful it is, um, in the field. So I think that's one thing we, we definitely want some of our, uh, listeners and people kind of you know, tuning into this every now and again to understand what some of those terms are. So they know what they're looking at when they start looking for camo, they can ask those educated questions on what stuff does. Yeah. I mean, that's a really good point. You know, I get, I get asked, I mean, our, our line is definitely not the most expensive on the market and it's definitely not the least expensive. You know, it is a premium brand and it, it is priced higher. And I, I get guys that ask me, why is it expensive? You know, I can go to Walmart and buy, bibs vest and a and a jacket for what your jacket costs and you know absolutely right and guess what you can kill deer in that outfit there's no no doubt about it you know this is really a niche brand for the guy that is looking to be able to do exactly what you did sit all day in 27 degree weather in rain and be very very comfortable and be ready for when that 185 did come in rain because I guarantee you, if you sat in that Walmart stuff, and you know, for eight hours, and he came in right at dark, and you'd been sitting there in 27 degree weather, you're gonna have a hard time drawing your bow because you've been so miserable all day. And and when you have the the high end DWR, you have the PU laminates, you have the the performance fleece, you have the Prima Loft insulation, and you have the cutting and sewing that that is gonna let the garment last and not come unraveled on you. That's expensive. Um, and, and it, you know, it, the old saying, you get what you pay for. I mean, there, there's no doubt about it. I mean, that, that is, you know, it cost us a lot to manufacture this stuff. And, and I think we're very, very fair with, with the pricing, but, but th- th- there is an education, educated, educating curve there, um, as to, you know, what the difference is because the, the performance type hunting apparel has just, you know, what in the last, you know, Sitka kind of pioneered that. Uh, for mountain hunting back in the day with Jason Harrison, you know, when, when he came on the scene and started mm-hmm. making the elk and stuff, um, you, you know, and, and, uh, and, and he kind of pioneered that and, and, and guys, you know, they, they were able to hunt better. They were, and that's the whole thing is we're trying to create a line of apparel that is going to let guys be more successful, stay in the tree longer, stay more comfortable when it's crazy hot out for us guys in the South because we love, we love to hunt. And we want guys to be more successful at it. So, I mean, that's kind of our mindset on that. Well, another feature, and I think you just briefly touched on it, but if you can dive into it a little bit more, because I, I really noticed it where I was at with some of the fields and, and where I was having a walk through, the lower half of those bibs uh, really stand up really well against, you know, the briars and, and a lot of the, just the sticky stuff that you have to walk through. 
Um, so what did you guys do different with the bottom half of those bibs? Yep, that's a great point. So, you know, obviously there are a lot of burrs, briars, and that sort of thing, and the fleece becomes a magnet for those. So we used a poly spandex blend in the bottom that's still really, really quiet. Um, it's a little bit tougher fabric than the fleece, and it's a lot more burr-resistant, and, you know, the, the begalice or, or sticky, whatever you call them, that, that you get. Um, and, and, and then, yeah, the briars and... and so it's a fabric that that we tested that held up better and, and wouldn't get as many burrs on it because that is a pain. I mean, you know, you get those burrs and you're constantly picking them off. And, and so the lower half, like you say, we, we made out of a poly spandex blend. that's got a lot of stretch in it that also helps, you know, when you're kind of bulked up and you're, you're having to climb and do a stand, you want stuff that'll stretch and move so you can climb easier and, and, and that sort of thing. Well, it was it was funny because I, I I knew that was a feature, but it's one of those things that you really don't think about until it becomes apparent. I was I was back at the lodge one of the nights, and a group of the guys they were all you know taking their cam off, throwing it, and get it washed. And about half the guys were sitting there with you know their pants or their bibs or which which, which whichever uh, product they had in their hands, but they were sitting there picking off burrs and picking off uh, pieces pieces that were stuck to their pants. Uh, and I'd walk through the same stuff they did, and, and and I wasn't sitting there spending you know fifteen twenty minutes picking all of that off of the bibs that I <laughs> that I just came back in with. <laughs> that's, I, that's great, dear. I think that's I think that's where dear. some of that conversation started, and they wanted to know what uh what, what I was uh what I was wearing because they they hadn't seen uh they hadn't seen that pattern yet. That's cool. Um, with uh with that pattern i know you know it's it's pretty well documented on on your website i mean you've talked about it but talk through a little bit on where that pattern came from and, and why why you see it being so effective uh in in the scenario of whitetail hunters that are that are hunting out of trees yeah that you know i i wanted to get into the the apparel business because i had some ideas and, you know, I've, I've spent some time sheep and goat hunting and, and, and learned a lot about apparel and, and the importance of it and how it can really change your, your hunt. But the, the thing that I was lacking the whole time was a, was a really good camo pattern that made sense. To me, uh, most of the premium brands that are on the market now have a camo pattern with, you know, digital or, or it's really a Western camo pattern. And it wasn't, I, I mean, I was getting seen in trees and, it was just, you know, kind of unusual wearing a really high-end premium brand and, and, and deer seeing me. Um, and so, you know, last fall, I'm walking through the woods scouting and two great horn owls uh, get in a fight and, and, or, or whatever they do in October. Um, I don't think they breed then, but they were, they were fighting or whatever. But one of them flew into a big oak tree and he was about 45 yards away from me, and he just kind of vanished in the tree. And I said, where, where'd he go? And I walked over there to him, and, you know, I could, I could see him move his head, and he flew to another tree about 30 yards away and lit again. And he just blended right into that one, and, and the light bulb went off. I, I said, man, this is the best tree predator in the woods, and his camo pattern is unbelievable regardless of what tree he goes in. He blends right in. So I left the woods, went home, called a, a veterinary surgeon friend of mine, and uh, asked him about squirrel and rabbit and deer eyesight. And I started, you know, researching animal eyesight and deer eyesight. And he said, Joe, I don't know 
much about squirrels and rabbits eyesight, but we'll get a PhD, a, a biologist from the zoo that knows more about that. And so he dug into all that and come to find out that rabbits, squirrels, deer, they all have dichromatic eyesight, very, very similar eyesight. And so I said, all right, that, that just makes perfect sense. Nature made an owl to be able to hide from the same type animal's eyesight that deer have. So if a if an owl is catching rabbits and squirrels with his feet, talons, and I just need to hide, you know, to get one inside 30 yards, it just made perfect sense. So I got a bunch of photos of owls and pictures of owls and got with a real high-end graphic artist. And we started overlaying them, taking the feather patterns, taking the shadowing, um, you know, the colors, the depth, the contrast. We took all that and spent hours and hours and hours developing the pattern. And, man, when I got the first sample done, I went out and wrapped it around an oak tree and then had two of the other premium brands and wrapped their stuff around. And it was literally no comparison. And then I went over to a pine and to a cedar and the same thing. And I, I said, this is a this is a home run camo pattern for anybody that hunts out of a tree because it, it just makes sense. And it's how nature sets stuff up. Um, you know, an owl's camo is you, you, you can't argue that it's super effective. I mean, he makes his living off of his camo and his stealth. And, you know, we, we just we just basically stole from the owl and, and created this pattern. And, man, I have tested it in, I don't know, I mean, 200-plus different trees and different setups. And, you know, anybody out there that's, that's got some of the other premium stuff, I challenge you to, to get some of this Osseo gear and try it and, and look at how much better it blends in to different trees than the other stuff that's out there. It's, 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 it's unbelievable. So um, there's a thing that you, I just happened to see when I was going through social media, whoever's doing your stuff is doing a great job because it just randomly popped up of, I believe you were talking about the quality and letting someone honestly try your gear. It's not, you know, the idea of there is a price value, but I don't actually see the price being inappropriate for what you're providing because it is a quality uh, product you have, you've developed. So you're creating that niche, like you said, but you're also giving people the opportunity to buy and use your, your product and see if it's really something for them. And you're backing it by if they don't like it, that not only you're allowing them to ship it back, that you're paying back not only the full cost, but the shipping if they truly don't like it. But it gives them that that true opportunity to actually test it instead of just seeing a review and question it. They now can actually see it and feel it and use it and know for sure. I think that's actually a good testament to what you believe in with this product. Yeah, we that, that's exactly right. I mean, because that's it. Most guys, you know, run to Cabela's or Bass Pro, try the stuff on, see, feel it, touch it, you know, try it on. And, and um, with us, you know, they, they don't get that opportunity, exactly what you're saying. So, yeah, we'll, we'll pay for the shipping of, of what you order. Um, to get it to you, you try it on, you try it out. If you're not 100% satisfied with it, box it back up. We'll pay for the return shipping and give you a 100% refund. And 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 also, if 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 it ever fails on you, we'll we'll replace it. So if you if you go out and you go through a big briar patch and and something was to happen and and you know you ripped it or whatever, we'll, we'll replace it. No, no questions asked. Just send it back to us so we can see what happened, and then we'll we'll send you a new new piece. So we'll. Well, I mean, we, you know, it, it really is. It's, it's a high-end premium brand, and, and we stand behind it, and we want guys to be happy with it. 
and, uh, you know, feel comfortable buying it because it is new. I, I get it. You know, it, it's new, and, and there, there are other, other guys that are, you know, close price-wise to us, and we want guys to try it and, and see what, do what they think. Well, I, uh, one of my favorite things I like about it so far, the first day I tried the mid-hoodie, uh, the mid-weight hoodie, um, you know, you stick the, the hoodie over and you felt this thing in the back of your neck. I've seen the photos, but I didn't really quite understood what it was yet until I slipped the face mask over. And I, all this time, many times I've gone hunted, I had like this standard camo face mask that had like this mesh where I could breathe through it, but it's always like a secondary thing. You actually built it into the hoodie and it fits perfectly. It's not just the face, but it also goes down your chest line. So it almost covers up that area, but it still lets it breathable. It blew me away. I was like, what a perfect spot to put this and where it was very delicate because it really had this nice approach. It wasn't over big. It allowed you to breathe, but it was placed in the right spot. Oh, I appreciate that. And, it, and, and that, that came from necessity because I always was losing or forgetting my face forgetting. Mask. Yep. Said, <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I know how to cure this. <laughs> We're going to put one in there so you can't lose it. <laughs> that was perfect. You know, that came into play the other day. Uh, it's going back probably a week and a half ago. Actually, right before I left for Illinois, a buddy of mine had shot a deer uh, in the city that, that we live in and called me to come over, help him try and track it. Uh, looked at footage and just weren't, I wasn't real confident on, on the shot, but we were going to try and track and find some blood. We got about 200 yards into the track after he shot it about four hours before. And as we're coming over one of the hills, we could see a deer up on the hill, and it was a doe. And there was, uh, and it turns out there's another buck behind it. And behind it was a, looked like another deer, but I could clearly see an arrow still sticking out of it. Uh, so unfortunately, wasn't wasn't a, a, the best shot in the world. But quickly, I was able to throw my throw my hoodie up, get my face mask over my face, and we were we were able to get into a position where we where we thought we were going to get another shot, but ethically. We just couldn't um, due to where some houses were on, on, on the angle. But being able to quickly get into a concealed position because you have that face mask already built in, you can tuck in by a tree. Uh, you know, he was when he saw that happen, he was he was sold on it, and he's uh, he's he's buying some now too. So it's it's really those little things I think you did with right. with the with the product that I think people were starting to notice. Man, that's thank a, you. Yeah, that's 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 a good testimonial for sure. Yeah, it, it's convenient. You know, you've got the hood. You know, I, I, I've learned that you know you can have on the lightweight hoodie, and you know you start getting a breeze or or whatever, and and you know temperatures start to drop. You throw that hood up, and, and I'm telling you, it, it'll help you stay five degrees cooler. Um, it just when you have that hood to be able to throw on, it it does help when it starts to cool off, and concealment too. You know, I love to wear it to stay concealed. Oh, absolutely. Well, you started out by talking about some stuff on on the roadmap. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about some of the things you guys do have coming out and maybe some ETAs on, on when those will be released? Yeah, for, for the 2021 season, we're going to have um, a couple bridge items. And what I mean by that is, like a bridge, a gap, if you will. Um, you know, the first year we, we obviously were limited in, in how much we could bring to market the first the first year. But this the second year we're going to be adding um, a jacket in between the midweight hoodie and the heavy jacket. So there'll be a kind of a, a middle of the road jacket. It's 
going to be lighter. It's going to be thinner, but it's still going to get you down into the 20s. Um, it's going to have the PU laminate. It's going to be built out of the same fabric as the heavy jacket. It's going to have some Prima Loft insulation, just not quite as thick. Um, so I think that's going to be a big hit for us. Uh, we're also coming out of a pant similar to that that'll be you know warmer than our mid-weight pant but not as big and heavy as our bib so it, that'll also be a kind of a bridge pant between the mid-weight pant and the bibs we've also you know the saddle hunting has become a really big thing <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah that's uh that's one of our pride and joys right there for years We've okay, both well, been saddle hunting cool since probably 2009, back when Trophy Line USA was uh, was still around. The original oh, tree saddle. Cool. Well, then, yeah. then you guys are going to appreciate this because we we designed a hoodie um, that's that's going to be thick, windproof, and warm. Um, that actually will go. You're going to have to help me, guys, because I'm not a saddle hunter. But is it the bridge that go, hooks into your waist? Is that what it is that? It seems like all the jackets get in the way and you're not able to get into your pockets and all that. Well, is it the bridge? Or- so it, a little bit of a touchy subject because we, we've got some crazy opinions on saddle hunting because where we start out with, with the original, with Trophy Lion USA's original greens tree saddle, there that is just a totally different form factor than what is now on the market. What's kind of come out with really, what's more of a lines, lineman's belt using more uh, lines and, and, uh, and, uh, uh, cambers, uh, trophy line, the way their original saddle was set up was everything was all tied together for the most part. So it had a different bridge system than what's really out there now. And we never experienced some of the issues saddle hunters are having with today's new form factors. We never experienced any of that because of how that original, original saddle was set up and which we still, we still hunt out of those. Uh, we've both got a couple of them and we're, we're dreading the day that, that uh, something happens to one of them, but they're all mil specs. So we're, we're hoping they're going to be good for, for a number of years still, <laughs> but yes, it's the bridge. And that's what, that's what a lot of guys do, do talk about is, is, um, you know, being able to still maneuver some things that happen when you are in a saddle, especially if you start turning, uh, turning around, taking those backward shots, your jacket ends up getting caught up in, in one, that bridge and two, uh, the friction of you pressed against the, you know, the seat of the saddle starts twisting uh, and, and kind of starts pulling, you know, when you get like Indian rug burn on your arm, it kind of happened. That same thing happens when your jacket gets caught in between uh, your, your waistline and that pressure you have on it. So that's what a lot of hunters kind of are trying to avoid and find a way around. So what we've done, I, there's a guy in our office that's a big, he's a big saddle hunter. So what we've done is taken this kind of oversized hoodie. And when I say oversized, it's just longer in the waist. Mm-hmm. And we've got side zips that come up, you know, in, all, almost in between your armpit and your waist. The zip comes from the bottom all the way up to there. So you unzip it, you know, from the bottom up to your ribs, let's say. So you can kind of envision it on both sides. So mm-hmm. you're, you're saddling your bridge fits right through there and then we have a, a button at the bottom or a snap where you can snap it and zip it down as far as you need to and that way it's still going to keep you warm and then in the front we've got a kangaroo pocket um, that you can put stuff in and get your hands in so they're not you know on the traditional sides of the jacket and uh, we're, we're excited about that and he's actually been talking to some other other guys in the saddle hunting 
industry about it, and, and everybody seems to be really fired up about that. I'm a I'm an old lock on guy. Give me a lone wolf and some sticks, and <laughs> I'm good. But he, he actually he spent trying. I'm I'm going to Texas to hunt um, the end of end of December, and, and the ranch that I'm going to be hunting has a bunch of these uh, live oak trees. Mm-hmm. So I've already talked to the owner, and uh, so I'm going to try saddle hunting for the first time in these live oak trees in texas so i'm, I'm excited about giving it a try you know what I, I always go back to to my old mentality on when i first got into into saddle hunting um people people were always worried like you know how how is a saddle going to compete against a lock-on how is it going to compete against those guys that are in ladder stands and and i've always told everyone i've talked to saddles are not competing against any of those saddle is another another tool in your belt when you go hunting because you're going to find that tree that's not perfect and you can't you can't get a lock on in you're going to find that tree that you've got to move in the middle of the day and you you've got to get over and get set up it's just a tool that helps you be successful i it's not i don't discriminate i i'll hunt out of a ground blind i'll hunt spot and stock uh, any way that i can get in the woods i'll hunt just a saddle is just a big piece of uh piece of my arsenal that that helps me put helps me get in positions that you know i may not be able to with with a lock on or a ladder or a climb or something of, of that nature makes perfect sense yeah absolutely i mean i'm i'm no uh I'm not closed-minded at all. I mean, I, I hear some of the, the older guys, you know, say they'll never hunt out of a saddle. I'm not like that at all. It's exactly what you say. If there's a tree that I need to be in and I can't get a lock-on in it and I don't have time for a ground blind to kind of soak and for them to get used to it, I'll hop in a saddle. I mean, I, I don't know what I'm doing yet, but I'm go- I'm going to learn. <laughs> I, I would say I'm, uh, I'm before you – before you actually take it on your first attempt, I would probably try a few days and test it out at your home and really get the feel of how it feels before you go out there and then try it because it's going to be awkward. But if you get used to it beforehand, it'll become a real good tool versus just trying to see what it's like out there. Absolutely. I'm going to have like two days of coaching from this guy. Ah, okay. And if I get tangled up in it, <laughs> I'm going to wait until next year and, and try and shoot a few does at home out of it i don't want to i don't want to have a have a big south texas bus come in and get tangled up and, and uh and, and have a high speed fall apart in the middle of the woods no I'll, you know i'll tell you this it's um saddle hunting is by far one of my favorite things to do because it, it's so versatile I, I always tell people when they go why do you saddle hunt or you know in this situation why would you saddle hunt i can look at any hunter and go you know what my favorite shot is it's a quartering away shot. And with a saddle, you realistically have the opportunity, no matter which way the deer comes in from one, you can, you can place that tree in between you and that deer at any point in time, give yourself, you know, that extra concealment. And then two, the, whichever way that, that doe, that buck com, comes in from, you can slide around the tree and, and give yourself a, a chance at the best quartering away shot by just being patient and letting that deer work into a position where you can work around the tree and and wait for that optimal shot. I'll, I'll I, if I can be patient and just let that deer get to a quartering away, I, I'm I'm much more confident. Like like most hunters, probably. No doubt, no doubt. And and you know I, I like the idea of of being able to use the tree as cover. Mm-hmm. You know, oh yeah. Constantly kind of tree between you and the deer. I mean that it makes perfect sense. And then also the the ability to be quick, the ability to be mobile. 
um, and, and to get into trees that you would you would never get into. Like I last year when I hunted this ranch, I you know I took my lock on and you know I would want to be in a certain tree and it was just no chance of getting a lock on in there. But I can get in there with a saddle, um, and it's just going to increase my chances of getting where I need to be. Yeah, you know, and I'm I'm sure I'm sure your your buddy is gonna is gonna tell you this, um, but maybe not my own opinion. The one of the biggest things you can invest in is is a really solid set of knee pads. I agree. Yeah, yeah. Hand, hands down. And it's it's funny because where saddle hunting used to be, um, you know, no one at at that point in time. You talk about two thousand eight, two thousand nine, and and you know, way prior to when we started, there were no uh, there were there were no um, you know, stands for, for saddle hunters. We were all using, you know, four, four tree pegs that we'd put in, you know, at, you know, 12 o'clock uh, all the way around the tree. And we were literally standing on single pegs. I've got boots that, you know, I'd, I'd wear out a pair of boots every season just from standing on pegs. So now that you have platforms, I, I mean, it makes hunting out of a saddle even, even more comfortable because you can position from sitting to standing, give your legs some rest, uh, but it's saddle hunting has come a long, long way. And it's not, I don't sound like you're intimidated by it at all. Just don't overcomplicate it. Just, you know, re- relax and, and you'll find your shot positions are super, super natural as soon as you get used to being in a saddle and facing a tree rather than standing on a lock on. Great. I, I am looking forward to it. I, I will report back on how, on how it goes for sure. <laughs> oh, love, love, loving hearing people's experiences when they start saddle hunting. Cause you, you, you get some guys that it's just, it's like a light bulb clicks for them <laughs> when, and the biggest thing yeah. is being able to use that tree as, as that additional piece of cover, uh, to get, to give yourself, uh, you know, the next, next best opportunity. That's really neat. So talking archery, uh, this, this is a big one that I think everyone's kind of talking about. Just curious on, on your opinion on it. Um, I, out of the gate, I am for any method, any legal method whatsoever of getting someone in the woods, whether they're, you know, 10 years old or 70 years old. Uh, but talking about archery specifically, um, what's, what's your ideas on, on crossbow hunting as more and more states are starting to legalize this? Uh, what, what's your opinion on, on crossbow hunting? Where do you think that fits into the, the archery conversation? From a, from a personal standpoint, I think it should have its own season. Um, it's just, you know, again, me, I, I am all for guys uh, using it. I, let me let me step back a minute. If if you've got an ailment, you know, you you're, you're hurt, handicapped, whatever it may be. Um, uh, hey, you know, by all means, during archery season, what what I think, archery, there, it, it, there's a difference there, right? I think we all can agree. Um, you know, th- there's a difference between an upright bow and, and, a, and a crossbow, and, and a crossbow is is going to be more effective. Um, and, and you know, guys can can shoot it; they've got scopes on them. Um, you know, it's just a it's just a different weapon in, in, in my mind. Um, I can't speak too much on this because. I mean, I've shot crossbows, but I've never hunted with one. So I, I can't, you know, I feel like if I haven't done it myself, I can't talk super educated about it. But just seeing the guys that have them, um, I, I feel like maybe, maybe this is, again, is my opinion, um, that, that guys, you know, that they should set up a crossbow season. 
you know, if you, you know, you have an archery season, you have a muzzleloader season, you have a rifle season or a shotgun season, why not have a, a specific crossbow season? Um, you know, and then, and then guys will, will probably argue my point there. Well, then there should be a traditional bow season, right? <laughs> harder to use, to yeah. use a, a, a recurve than it is a compound bow. So I, I, I get it. Um, I'm not super opposed to the guys, you know, using the, the crossbow during archery season. Um, but you know, it, it's, it, there's definitely a difference there. I think, um, what's interesting that he brought it up is that my brother last time he hunted was when he was around 12 years old and it's been well over 30 years. And I finally convinced him to find, you know, get back into hunting. And the first thing he got was a crossbow. And so when we went out, I had the bow and he has a crossbow. And one of the interesting, I think, perspective is while we have the ability to shoot and if we miss, we can quickly reload, reshoot multiple times um, in a very quick process. The one thing that the crossbow has that is a, a negative for them is that it's a one shot deal because you have to have a setup and these little clips you have to click on, put your feet down, pull back. And so really they're almost at a, uh, a disadvantage because it's really once and then afterwards they're done. Um, while with the bow hunt, you know, if we're using a regular compound or recurve, whatever it might be, um, we get that multiple opportunity. So I guess there's that blend between for someone that wants to do it, how do they really feel that it could be a negative or a positive? Cause each side has their pros and cons. I, I feel like you just yeah. described a, a, a muzzle loader. Yeah, that's right? true. Like it almost, yeah. it almost when, you, when you, when you talk about the yardage capabilities of a muzzle loader versus well, most muzzle loaders, uh, versus, versus, uh, you know, the crossbows of today, you're yeah. talking about the same yardage when you talk about yeah, the capabilities of both. So let's just put let's just put uh, crossbows into muzzleloader season. How about that? That actually sounds <laughs> that could be that could be reasonable. It's a one shot deal, and yeah, accuracy, pull the trigger, all the same. Yeah, they don't have to hold the bow back. You know, I mean, they just you you, you know you've got to draw at the right time, and and you know if you get busted, you got to hold that thing back for a minute or two with the crossbow. You just keep it aimed right at him like a muzzleloader or rifle. So yeah, maybe that's the solution that crossbows go into muzzleloader season and. And uh, maybe they get to come in two or three days before muzzleloader season, and or something like that. But boy, that that's that'll be an argument. I think that'll go. On <laughs> We're not going to solve that problem tonight. No, 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 absolutely not. I, you know, I'm just I'm I am excited that with technology of crossbows, it it has got more people either back and in, back involved or or got them involved for the first time for the ease piece of it. And I mean, at this point, the more the more hunters that we can introduce to to the to the sport and to the the lifestyle, or I, I reintroduce, the better, or reintroduce, yeah. you know, all all the better. I, I, here, here, I, I agree with that one hundred percent. We we and again, I, I don't have a dog in the fight, um, you know, with, with with crossbow hunting. I mean, I'm guys, you know, have at it. I, I think it does allow you know people with with handicaps or or you know guys that need help or, or whatever it may be it, it, it opens up some opportunities for guys that otherwise couldn't hunt um you know you you have you know some some states that, that just have a really small what illinois just a couple days of, of shotgun or muzzle loader and and that's it you know the guys that, that are crossbow hunting you know it op opens up in, in illinois to be able to hunt you know a lot more so mm -hmm. um yeah i mean yeah I, 
no 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 problems on my end. Yeah. Well, just kind of shifting a little bit because this is kind of a topic that I think it's probably the probably one of the most talked about topics that we've had over the podcast that we've done. Uh, and it seems to be reoccurring. So you, you actually spent time uh, in Africa, had, had your pH license, went through the whole process. I, I know there's probably a million stories involved with that, um, but what's, what's your biggest pro hunting or, or, or reason for hunting uh, in Africa that, that you could talk about? The biggest pro hunting, well, I mean, just, just one example. Um, I did my, well, first of all, I'm, I'm, I, I was my whole life fascinated by African animals, um, elephants, I mean, hippos, uh, j- just fascinating animals, warthogs, zebras. I mean, it, it just, you know, kind of fantasy land animals and was always fascinated by them. And, you know, I, I went through a professional hunter's course in South Africa um and and, you know as a non-resident when i took it you could have a license then so i was able to to have my ph license but i wasn't ready for dangerous game uh or anything like that so i had to go do a long apprenticeship and i did some apprenticeship in tanzania some in zimbabwe but the majority i did in mozambique under a guy named jamie wilson and it was up in the nyasa reserve is, is where i did most of my work and we or he he took over a concession and the first year we had it there was one herd of impala with about eight females and one one ram and it was kind of on this open area near the river and the poaching was so bad in there that really the first two years we had the neighboring concession as well that we hunted out of while we tried to rehabilitate this one and got a, a huge anti-poaching staff and went in there and, and just spent two seasons, two years, really, because we had anti-poachers in there during the off-season, too, because that's re- really when a lot of the poaching happens when the hunting's not going on. And just removing snares and, and catching poachers and, and working with the local villagers. And I'm telling you, in three years of doing that, the third year we were able to hunt it, and it went from nine or ten impala to three different herds, and one of them had fifty impala in the herd. And, wow. and it all came hunting. If we had not been hunting that thing, it would have been poached completely out. And that's just one example. I mean, we I could talk for hours and hours about how much hunting helps African game, from, from a, a financial standpoint to the game itself. And you'll never convince people of that. I mean, you know, you, you see somebody shoot an elephant and people, you know, go berserk about that. You know, they, they think they're endangered. They don't understand how much money goes to the local community, how that elephant has, you know, six sets of molars. And, and if you shoot an old mature elephant, you know, he's on his last set of molars and all he's got to look forward to is a starvation death. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, one shot, clean kill and, the funding that goes to that village for that, the, the, the amount of meat that goes to the, to the village, the protein that they're, they're lacking. I mean, it, I, I could talk, I could run my mouth on this for hours and hours and hours, but that, that was one example right there of, of how hunters, you know, help Africa. Well, I, I think it's funny because you, you, 
there's such a bad rap and people when when you see all the negative press it's it's all about the trophy hunter and they just want to kill this animal and this and that but the we've probably asked that specific question four times something like that and and every response from from someone we've had on it's, it hasn't been based around hunting it's been hey hunting helped this conservation effort which helped the the population or helped the villages any the, the hunting is, all, is almost a byproduct of of the actual result of, of helping the herd or helping the ecosystem or helping the village that it's tied to and i i think that's just such a missed point that is never talked about is, is what hunting again it's a byproduct of, of, of the actual result I, I think it's also coming down where they think it's death and money mm-hmm. they think it's because we're paying to kill yet they don't understand there's so much like you just said that it's involved that what it brings to the community if they look past the killing the killing is the last part that's not even the biggest part it's everything else it provides that's where they're missing and i don't think that anyone's ever going to be able to even make sense to them for that but it almost, while we're talking about this, it's almost like people doing the, how humane it is to let a dog or a cat when you put them to sleep when they're getting old, they're doing it. Most people feel more than happy to let that happen. But when you look at it for this situation out in Africa, what were people were paying for, it's the shot, but yet it's doing so much more than just putting an animal down. Mm-hmm. It, 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 no, no question about it. I, I mean, the guys that hunt in Africa, are pretty affluent, pretty educated, pretty sharp guys. Um, yeah. And do you really think they're going to decimate what they love to do? I mean, that's, it just makes no sense. They're not going to go in there and wipe out the lion and leopard and elephant population because they, they're smart guys. They're, they're not going to do that. And, 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 you know, again, you know, back, back, I mean, you look at the rhino, for example. What, where was the rhino? I mean, and, you know, and, and what hunters did in South Africa to rehabilitate the rhino. I mean, look at Kenya. Mm-hmm. Kenya's elephant population, when they when they shut hunting down there, it, 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 I, I can't remember the exact numbers, but it, it's like a tenth of what it was when hunting was allowed in Kenya, the elephant population. Wow. Um, it it you know, go on and on and on, example after example after example Is- of of what hunting has done for them. yeah it is a lot of that um uh decline in, in population because when when there is when there's not hunting when there's not that that flow of money coming in um, a big portion of that flow of money goes towards anti-poaching so is, is that why you see such a such a drastic drop in numbers um from from poaching yeah, now being able to take place um, yeah it's, it's, it's dollars and cents right it's supply and demand it's if the game loses economic relevance if, if the local village looks at it and it controls the areas and they've got some crops or whatever it may be, um, and they've got elephants that are coming into those crops, they're going to kill them, they're going to poach them, they're going to sell the ivory, whatever they've got to do to live, right? Um, whereas if you've got a hunting community that's bringing them protein, that's paying them to help build their schools, to help improve the medicine, put in wells, and all that's coming from hunting dollars, that not only are they going to let the elephants come into their, their fields, they're going to plant more fields so the elephants have more to eat. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's economic. As soon as the wildlife loses that, they're going to expand their crops and they're going to do what they have to to survive, and that means killing the animals, that means poaching the game, going out and setting 100 snares in a night 
this was another thing that burned me up when I was doing my apprenticeship. These guys would come in from Tanzania. They would go and set, maybe not 100, let's call it 50. They would go set 50 snares, and it would be three guys, right? And so four days later, they would come back and check those snares, and they'd have a zebra in the second snare. Well, four guys can barely carry a zebra, right? So they would they would quarter up that zebra, put it in their bag, and they'd hike out with that zebra. Well, the other 45 snares don't even get checked. And so you go, and there'll be a calf elephant stuck in one. There'll be a, a, a buffalo bull stuck in one. There'll be an impala stuck in one. And, you know, you get a buffalo that, that breaks free and it's got a snare wrapped around him, that becomes a dangerous hazard not only for the locals but for the PHs and everybody else. And all these other animals just die having a snare wrapped around them, and, and they rot. So, it, you know, it, and it, that's an education. That's an education. You don't have to snare, guys. We're going to supply you with meat. You don't have to snare the animals. And, and so once they, I mean, we had such a good relationship with our local village. I mean, they love the hunters. Um, and, and you could see it improve over time. The population of people improved, the schools improved, the medical improved, the water systems improved, and it was 100% from the hunter's dollars. Well, are you, uh, are you still involved? No, I I, I, I made a fatal mistake and got married and had a kid. <laughs> <laughs> Just tell me you didn't have a kid during uh, during rut. Oh boy! During when? During the rut. <laughs> during rut? No, 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 no. He he, he came uh, pre-rut. So there you pre-rut. go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I was, uh, I was uh, you know, in Africa, ninety days, one hundred and twenty days at a time. And uh, my wife and I just got married, and, and I did that for about three years, and and uh, then we you know we got pregnant with our with our son, and I, I had to peel back on that. Uh, yeah, I just could couldn't be gone. Um, just couldn't be gone. I you know I have a, a a booking agency called Sporting Adventures International, and we still do some booking of, of safaris. We do a lot in Argentina uh, for wing shooting, um, so I, we do still have some African customers. Um, and, and I'll definitely get back over there. My son's older now, and, um, you know, we, we, we definitely will get back over there, and I miss it. I, I really do. But being gone from family that much, it, it just wasn't going to work. No, 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 no. Fam- family is a very important thing, man. As, as important as hunting is, uh, family, family tends to rise above that a little bit. That it does. No doubt. No question about it. So you, uh, you're in the South. How did you yep. get in? I mean, what, what's kind of your background that, that led you really into, into that whitetail, whitetail hunting? Uh, was it from being in the South or were you originally from here? Where did you grow up and what's your, what's your first experiences yeah, with actually, hunting? Yeah, I, I live on the street that I grew up on. My wife and I lived in a, in a kind of a outside a little town called Camden, South Carolina. And then we moved back to Columbia and I, we bought a house on the street that I grew up on. My dad was a huge hunter. Um, and, and that was what we did every single weekend. Um, we, we hunted every weekend, um, you know, during when deer season wasn't in, we hunted hogs or whatever was, was available. We hunted a lot in the Savannah river swamp, mm-hmm. um, on the South Carolina side and on the Georgia side some. And I, I just grew up doing it when I was 12 years old. He, he you know, he kind of gave me instruction on, on how to do things. And I'd been going with him, you know, since I was four or five years old and, when I was 12, he, he gave me a, a little 243 and, and, and basically said, have at it. 
and I just kind of self-taught um, from with, with his instruction and, and went out and kind of made every single possible mistake you can make whitetail hunting. And then when I got to be 16, 17, I kind of gave up the rifle and, and started bow hunting and just was completely addicted to, to whitetail bow hunting. And, and to this day, it's my, my favorite thing to do is, is bow hunt those those incredible animals and, and uh, you know, have kind of branched out and, and, and had the opportunities to, you know, hunt in Canada for them, Montana, Illinois, Kansas, um, you know, basically all over and just absolutely eating up with it and love it. It's my absolute passion. Well, you, you hunt all over the place. I mean, I, I know you've done a lot of expedition hunts. You just named a number of different, uh, you know, regions within the U S your whitetail hunting, uh, kind of a, a new thing that's really coming out is people are obsessed with shooting, you know, 500 plus GPI arrows. What's, what's your setup? Do you change that depending on where you're going or, or, or really what are you shooting and what are you confident in with, with your bow and arrow setup? Man, that, uh, that, that is, that is a, a, a great question. And one that it, it, we have tested and, and um, looked at and, and, I, I figure for a guy that, um, you know, people need to do their own testing and not just listen to what's mm-hmm. out there. You know, there is no question that a 600-grain arrow with a fixed-blade broadhead is going to penetrate better than a 440-grain arrow with a mechanical. There, there, there's no argument there. The problem is yardages right we we don't always know exactly how far that deer is we want to we want to range him and we want to range trees and we want to have good ideas but the difference between 30 and 37 yards which is a very easy mistake to make Mm -hmm. when Mm -hmm. you are in the rut and they're chasing does or they're coming through fast or they're coming from an area where you weren't able to range that mistake is really easy to make. You know, a, a five to seven yard screw up. Yeah. If you take a 550 grain arrow and you take a 400 or 450, 100 grains difference, and you shoot and you shoot those, you use your 30 yard pin at a 37 yard target with those two different um, arrow weights. Very drastic different results. It is a huge difference. So for me personally, I am the 400 to 440 grain guy, mm-hmm. and I shoot a mechanical head. I do. Um, I will carry an iron wheel broadhead in my quiver. Uh-huh. Um, sometimes if I'm if I'm on the ground, or you know I've got hogs around, or I need the you know penetration, or I'm thinking I may get some weird angles or whatever, and I need more penetration, I do keep a fixed blade in my quiver. But man, I'm a Rage Tripan and a um, and a Sever. Their new uh, 2.0 Titanium. I shot a big deer in in Minnesota this year with that new Sever broadhead. And you know, I like the accuracy. I've killed a bunch of stuff with mechanical heads, and I'm a big mechanical head guy. But but I see the. I'm not closed minded. I have no ego, and you know I. I will I will change in a minute if something's going to help me be better, and and that's just kind of I, I've seen mechanical broadheads, rage tripans go through 
700-pound Pierre David deer, 400-pound red Argentina. I've tested them on lots of hogs here in South Carolina, and I know they will kill any whitetail on the planet. Um, you know, you hear about plan B shots and, you know, jumping the string and hitting them high. Well, you know, I, I get it, and I'm not going to argue that that heavy arrow is going to penetrate more, but if the deer's jumping the string and it's getting there slower, my faster arrow is going to get there sooner, and it's going to be more likely to hit in the kill zone or in the lungs than that super slow, heavy arrow. Um, that, anyway, that's just my opinion. We, we could talk about this for hours too. Oh yeah. So, so what's your what's your draw length and what what kind of pound drew pulling? Yep, seventy-two pounds. Uh, VXR Matthews. Um, and my draw length is 29 inches. Nice. Yeah. That that's, that's always the thing that I think I've, I've always struggled with is, I mean, I'm 28 inch draw. And I'm pulling, I'm pulling 65 pounds. I had to back down from that 72 just because of shoulder issues. Um, but it, it's trying to find that balance between, between weight and speed. So, I mean, I've, I've, I've historically yep. I've shot a 416 grain arrow, 100, 100, uh, 100 grain uh, broadhead front. I, I've really this season. I, I switched back to them because they came out with a new version. But I switched over to uh, to the dead meats and have had just tre- tremendous results from it. Had a couple bad bad experiences with some expandables on opening day and and wanted to throw my bow out of the tree. <laughs> but uh, part of part of that was shot placement and from from not not paying attention to how the animal was coming out of a ravine and not sitting flat. Um, but I, I think it's something that people always talk about, you know, what's, what's your setup, what air are you shooting, you know, what's your broadhead, what bow are you shooting? And it just comes down to, I, I think more than anything, confidence in your setup. doesn't matter what you're shooting. If you shoot it consistently and you're confident in it, you're going to be a better hunter. Well said. It, it's, it's most white tail shots are 30 yards in the end. Mm-hmm. Most of them are going to, you, you're going to, you're going to serve yourself so much better practicing shooting than obsessing over the grain of my arrow and the, the, <laughs> i mean it's it's i mean it's fun to do and i i will say i'll be the first to say i test a bunch during the off season because i love tinkering with it yep but for me you know I, those i'm a victory i'm not sponsored or paid by any of these people but i shoot victory the rip tko's I've got that 60 grain, I think they call it a shock uh, excerpt um, that uh, my, my whole arrow setup's 440 grains and I've got about 16% FOC and um, it just, it works really good for me and I'm shooting a, right at 290 uh, feet per second, um, which is which is plenty fast and, and I don't have the drop you know, when you get out past 25 yards at a 600 grain arrows, arrows going to have, and mm-hmm. I feel like you say, feel really confident in it. And, um, I, I feel like for me, it's, it's, it's the best setup, but I will absolutely change on a dime. If something comes out or, or somebody shows me something that, 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 that can do better. It's, it's funny. Cause from, from the business world of things, uh, I had to 
getting myself to back off of testing different stuff and trying to switch between, you know, my FOC and a different arrow and, 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 a, and a heavier pull or heavier draw weight, just changing all those things because it was really analysis or paralysis by analysis. I, I started getting so overwhelmed with all of the different things I was putting into a spreadsheet. I, I would get to see and I was like, <laughs> wait, what do I do? I have 14 options. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and while you're doing all that, you're way better off throwing a lock on or a saddle up in your backyard and a couple of targets from 15 to 30 yards and just pound those all afternoon with whatever you want to go with um, than, than to obsess about that. But it is fun to tinker with it and, and, and play with it, and, and that's, that's all part of the sport, right? You know, mm-hmm. dialing your setup in and, and trying out new cool stuff as they come out. So it's, it's a lot of fun. It, it absolutely is. I think that's why archery is, is so I, I don't have a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of addictions, but archery is definitely one of them. Uh, it's just, there's so many different things. It's, it's not just hunting cause you can spend the off season shooting and, and just tinkering with stuff and trying new things. And it, it becomes, you know, a, a year round sport outside of just hunting. No doubt. No, no. doubt. So I'd, I actually, in some ways started using it as a, a decompression for the days. If you actually get stressed out somehow, just throwing a few arrows down can actually clear your mind because you're having to focus on something else other than the other things that might be going through your head. So it's always been a, a nice stress reliever. No doubt. That is for sure. Well, you know, there's, there's probably a, a million things we, we would absolutely love to have you come on again and kind of talk a little bit more in depth about some of some of the Africa stuff, um, some of your expedition hunts. It, it seems like you, you, you've got probably a plethora of stories on on expedition hunts. But as far as the gears, as far as osseo gear, what's what's kind of the, the biggest thing you want people to know about the gear, the company um, and, and kind of where it's going and, and why you have so much faith in it? Yeah, I, I just think, you know, we, we really are a brand that, that is that is niche. We're for the tree stand whitetail bow hunter. Um, that's what we're specializing in. Um, we are constantly going to be on the cutting a- edge of performance fabrics um, and, and getting the best coat, cut and sewing in the world. Um, and, and, you know, that's kind of what we want to be known for is, is the best whitetail tree stand bow hunting apparel that you can buy. Um, and we're going to stand behind our product. We're going to have the best customer service in the industry. Um, you know, I mean, just the other day, you know, a guy, a guy said, Hey, I, I'm having trouble with the, with the website. It was a Friday afternoon. Um, you know, and he, he said, you know, I'm, ha- I'm having trouble with the, with, with getting my, my credit card number in or whatever it is. And, and um, I said, man, I'm just going to shoot you the bibs and jacket, and I'll have Kevin call you on Monday, and, and y'all can get it worked out. And he said, you mean you're going to send it to me before before I pay for it? And I said, yeah, man, I, you're a hunter. We, we don't have any problems with collecting from guys, not worried about it at all. And you know, that, That's the kind of company we want to be. We're, we're very hands-on. Um, everybody in the company that, uh, that, that works with me is a hunter. Um, and as a bow hunter and, and is passionate about it. And that, that's what we do and what we live to do. And that's kind of what we want to be known for. Well, you know, I, I'll, I'll speak to that because that's something that I was just overwhelmingly impressed with. The fact that, I mean, I, I just getting advertisements day in, day out on Facebook and social medias. I reached out to you uh, via Facebook. I, 
I really, I don't even think it was an hour later and, and you, you got right back with me. Um, and we start talking I, and I ordered gear and I had it within two days. Uh, so just the response time from, from you as like the face of the company, it just goes so far to, to show what your company is actually about. It's, and you're not talking to just someone who's taken an order, not a hunter, doesn't understand what you're going through there. They, they know like you're in a pinch, you're trying to get to a hunt. We're trying to help you out. You guys are super quick on response time. Shipping has been phenomenal. Um, just the, the packaging, I'll tell you that, uh, that was like Christmas morning for right. me and Travis, we got yeah. the packages <laughs> and just these beautiful Osseo boxes that you just cannot wait to open up. Um, but I, I can't thank you enough for the response time. And, you know, you're, you were out in Kansas and, you know, calling me back and forth. I think you're probably getting out of the stand and you were, you were still, still texting with me. So, you know, speaks volumes to, to the company as a whole when, when you're responding the way that you are. Well, I appreciate that. And, you know, you hit it on the head, man. We're all hunters, right? I get it. You know, if, I, if I've got to, you know, if I've got to get something new or I've lost something and I'm leaving to go to Kansas, I mean, that's our world. We live for that. And you've got to have it. So I get it. And, and I, I love it. I, I literally love talking with guys that have the same passion I have and, and learning from them. I mean, you know, this saddle thing is, is new and, and I'm, I, you know, I've learned stuff from you guys tonight talking about it, the different, you know, how they had them, you know, back in 09 and, and uh, you know, the different different types. And, and so, yeah, we're, we're kind of all in it together. And if I can help guys with apparel and, and um, help them sit in the tree longer or hunt when it's blazing hot here in the south and, and be more successful and put smiles on guys' faces, you know, that's, that's what we're here for. Man. So what uh, – do you know what kind of saddle you're going to be hunting out of? Uh, that is a really good question is, oh gosh, he did tell me Merle, Merrill, Ariel, something. I can't remember. It's not the tethered one. It's, it's, it's something else. Um, it, it, it's crazy. There's like, there's like six or seven companies now. And it, and it's really been this last three years where it's just exploded, uh, with a, a bunch of different companies. Yeah, I think it's Ariel something. Um, uh, yeah, it's it's Ariel. It's A I E R L. I think. Yeah, no, I mean, and they they all kind of operate off the same principle. But man, you'll you'll love it. It's just it, it's comfortable. Um, you know, you you when once you get used, to, the the biggest difference is you're gonna get used to you're facing the tree and you're supported. Yeah, arrow arrow hunter. Yeah. Air yeah. Hunter, that's, yeah, that, 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 yeah, that's it. Yep, and, and they actually have a lot closer design to what 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 the original trophy line was. Um, that's Arrow's probably probably the second one I would go with. But yeah, no, and they, they have actually I'm pretty sure they have a seat that's kind of built in, so it's a little flatter. So you sit uh, not as kind of in a saddle as 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 you do with some other ones. But you'll love it, man. I mean, just just go and enjoy it. Enjoy the freedom of being able to move around. Three hundred and sixty <laughs> degrees. degrees. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well. So tell people, oh um, you know. Where, where do they go to, to find out more about you? You know, how do they order gear? Um, you know, what, what's your, what's your best suggestion as far as someone is just starting out and, and in getting the camo in, in, in cold or in cold weather versus warm weather, what do they go buy and where do they buy it? Yep. So, uh, Osseo gear, A S I O and then gear, G E A R.com. We'll take you to our website. That's also our, 
our Facebook and Instagram uh, handles, if you will. Um, and, and if they got questions, man, I don't mind one bit. They can email me directly, joe at osseogear.com. Happy to help. Um, you know, we're getting into kind of the late season. May not need it in the, in the south. But um, the bibs and jacket are, are pretty epic as far as keeping you warm and dry for, for guys kind of across the country and getting into December, January hunting. They're going to keep you warm to well below zero with proper layering. Um, and then when we circle back around in, in August, September, when you get started in the south, um, you know, I designed our early season stuff for hunting in South Carolina, August 15th, when it's 100 degrees and 98% humidity. And it's going to keep you as cool as, pos- as possible um, because I love hunting those velvet bucks here in the swamp, even with the mosquitoes that are as big as hummingbirds. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so, uh, yeah, that's, you know, that's kind of where we are, Osseo gear. And, and um, anybody that has questions, again, if they want to try it out and they're not sure about it, order it. We'll cover the shipping. If they don't like it, we'll pay for the shipping back and, and give them 100% refund. So, um, we really appreciate the support appreciate you guys having me on tonight and, and I'd love to come back and do it again. And, uh, yeah, look forward to, to, to letting y'all know how this Texas hunt goes. And it, he did just text me back. It is the arrow hunter Myrtle. Is nice. The name of the saddle, so. Yep. No, yeah, that's, I'll that, that's a great one to go with, man. Well, Ooh, I know, I'm, I know I'm with, excited. Yeah, so so the whole COVID piece, I don't think has made made things very crazy between ATA and every other show that's going on. Uh, you guys are, uh, you know, you know, um, you, you don't go around distribution. You go straight to straight to the hunter. Is, is there anywhere? Are there any events you guys have coming up where someone can, can someone can see this stuff in person, put their hands on it, or do you just recommend that they go through through your process of hey, try it, um, put it on. If you don't like it, we'll get it back from you. Yeah, so we're happy for guys to come by our office. If, I mean, obviously, if you're, you're way away, you, you can't get here to South Carolina. But if you're ever on the East Coast um, and want to swing by our shop, happy for you to come by see it. We have guys that have come from Florida, um, you come from Kentucky. We've had guys that have come all over and shot their bows with us. we got a little range out back and, um, you know, tried on some stuff and bought some stuff. So happy for guys to come and do that. Um, with the shows this year, you know, with most things kind of getting canceled, we were going to have a kind of a show circuit, and we will next year or as soon as COVID's out where guys can see it. But but this kind of this winter, spring, we're, we're probably not going to do any of the shows just because of COVID. But as that lifts and changes, we, we will definitely be hitting some of the bigger consumer shows for sure. Awesome. Well, you, you guys aren't too far from us. Uh We'd love to set something up if it works for you. We'll come up and just shoot around with you, talk about the product, and put put a put a little uh, tutorial together for people if if you're good with that. Absolutely, hundred percent. Love to do it. Man, absolutely love it. We really appreciate you coming on. I mean, it's, it's, this honestly. So uh, again, just we we took a little bit of a hiatus uh, a couple years ago with just so many life things going on. And uh, we were we were looking for something to really relaunch and and, and kind of fire us back up and again getting the podcast going again. And I can't I can't imagine a, <laughs> yeah, yeah I can't imagine a, a, better, a better one, one. to really kick off with. We've we, we've loved every second talking with you, and we appreciate everything from you, guys. I really appreciate it. Can't wait to do it again, and and let's definitely keep in touch. And and I love to have you up. That'd be a lot of fun. Um, show you around and and. Uh, 
yeah, we, we, we appreciate you, you having us on. So, um, yeah, look forward to the next time. Oh, cool. sounds great. Phenomenal. Thank you. I, I hope you have a, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving and, and, uh, you know, everything goes well. When's your next hunt? What's your next planned hunt? Yeah. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm anxiously waiting for this deer in Kansas to show back up. He disappeared on the, uh, November 4th and he has not been back on any camera. I don't know if he's dead or just missing in action, but I'm, I'm thinking maybe with the rut coming to an end, he, he may show back up. And if that happens, I'm going to head back to Kansas. If not, uh, December 27th, I'll be down in South Texas. Actually, my son and I go together. It's kind of a father son during his Christmas break. We go down and kind of hunt the end of the rut there. And that's your and saddle hunt. That's my saddle hunt. Yep. Oh. So, um, I'll have to get them to, uh, to take some pictures and, and, and stuff like that while we're down there. So y'all can pick on me and, and show me how I'm doing it wrong. <laughs> no, no, there, there's, that's a, that's the one thing with saddle hunting. There is no doing it wrong. It's, it, it's really, this sounds dumb, but saddle hunting really is kind of, kind of like a dance. It's, it, it's, it's how you feel when you can move around the tree in the most comfortable everyone does it different. Some people kind of turn around the tree backwards because they're used to the footwork. Other people work around the tree facing forward. It's, it's however you're comfortable, whatever makes sense to you. If it works, it works. Go with it. Cool. Well, I'm excited about it. I'm like, like y'all said, I'm going to practice some in, in the yard and at the shop, you know, Several, several sessions before I go <laughs> tangled, tangled up with the big one. Cause that, that is what will happen to me. That is my luck. And, uh, you know, a 150-incher will come strolling by, and I'll get, I'll have it backhanded or wrapped around something. And <laughs> but oh. that's all right. It's all part. No, you, you, you'll, you'll be fine, man. It sounds like you know what you're doing. So please, yeah, let us know how it goes. We'd love to touch base with you and then we'll, we'll set something up. We'll have to come up and, and, and sit down with you and talk to you up at, up at your place. Perfect. I look forward to it. Y'all have a great evening. Thank you again. No, no, thank thank you. you so much. For first episode back, uh, that was a fun one, man. That was a fun one. You know, uh, we, we're going to have a bunch more coming out. We're, we're back focused, dedicated on, on getting some experts in to talk about different things within the industry, different things within just the outdoors in general. Um, a lot's going to be based around archery, uh, but it's going to be a little bit of everything. Uh, so we're really, really thankful that that Joe came on and talked with us. Uh, we're we're absolutely going to have him come on again. We we talked about setting up some time to actually go up to their shop, shoot around with with him and his his guys for a little bit, and uh, check out the uh, check out all the bridge products that he has coming out. Those things that kind of fill in some gaps in the product line. So we will absolutely go do that. Uh, absolutely try out try out that new product, and, and we'll we'll talk about it again. Bring that guy that back to you guys, and let us, let you know you know what that new product in that product line looks like, how how it how it feels, how it performs. Um, but again, super super thankful for Joe to Joe coming on. It was actually also that you know we're now getting back on the show, and we're having a little bit of bugs getting things up, and we're changing some of the gear trying some new equipment and we tried to do a few <laughs> test runs before we actually brought him on. And then literally within what, 10 minutes, five minutes, four minutes, we're still like, how the heck are we going to record this thing? Cause none of it was working mm-hmm. and it ended up being light. Literally we hit record and he's calling in 
as we're hitting record and doing the podcast and we're just like crossing our fingers. God, I hope this works. And it did. Thank God it worked. So, uh, that it would have been an interesting conversation just for us, but luckily everything worked out well. So you got a chance to get to hear it. Absolutely. Uh, so a couple things coming up, a couple guests that, that we've got on the books and, and, uh, we'll get, we'll get out to you guys shortly. Uh, we've got a guy named Brock. Uh, he's out of Utah. He just had a phenomenal bear hunt. Uh, did a whole video segment on it from from wait Brock Brock Obama. Oh my lord, <laughs> Brock! B- I'm just R- joking. A- I'm joking. Brock. I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh, so Broxon, come on. Uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about his video. Everything from from the the early season prep all the way through the ups and downs of of, of hiking in and and having a few opportunities and 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 being able to finally uh, realize that that tag and 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 get the bear he was after. Uh, and Can't then wait. we have Tommy Ionelli who's going to come on. We had to postpone a, postpone a little bit with him, but Tommy's coming on. When you talk about just some phenomenal stories around uh, just just the Africa piece, um, it's going to be eye opening for you guys. There's there's a lot of things that a lot of people have not talked about, and he's got a lot of firsthand experience over there. Uh, so it's going to be a great, uh, no doubt, it's going to be a great great episode. Tommy's a great guy. He, he's he's a talker. Uh, so it's probably going to be a longer, <laughs> it's probably going to be a longer podcast, which, which we, which we love. But, uh, those are two that are coming up. Uh, as always, you guys, um, there's a couple places you can check us out and, and come find us. Um, yeah, the, the address is mybowrush.com forward slash follow us gives us uh, quick ways to reach us, especially on our social medias, you know, check this out. We're getting stuff back in the, the game. We're starting to do things more, um, so help support us, get us, you know, share our shows, share people that you might think that might like hear what we have. You know, we've been out for a couple, what, two years, I guess. I don't like to really Man. put it out there, but it's true. You know, we've had some things that we had to deal with and, now we're back on, but um, what is really neat, even with the downside, we had followers still listening, still downloading, and more times when it came to the hunting season, and we just topped over 50,000 downloads, which is, you know, being kind of on the back burner for a little bit and still growing was a, a good testament that obviously people still want to hear what we have to say. Yeah, we really appreciate everyone that, that did continue to follow us through that. Really, I mean, it was probably about three years. So everyone, oh, everyone that still followed us, everyone that uh, was still sending us messages asking. Thank when, you, Mom. Thank you, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, we, we appreciate every every one of you guys. Um, and again, if you have a question that you want to get answered or something you've been thinking about or an experience that, that you had uh, in the field and want to talk about it, just hit us up on on Facebook. Hit us up uh, on on Instagram. Get a hold of us. We'd love to have you on and and talk about what you're seeing in the industry, what you're seeing in your 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 hunting experiences. Um, that's that's what this whole thing's about. Is kind of talking about what's going on and how people are enjoying enjoying the outdoor right now. I agree. I I can't wait to hear what we got more coming on. Yep. So as always, uh, this is Scott Nelson. I'm Travis Stowe. Let a rip tater chip. <laughs> <laughs> <What>? <laughs>